Hi, I'm Eric Archilla, co-creator of 1865, the audio drama. You're listening to Scandal Water. Where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three. Ashley. Hi, Candy. Here we are back again to record our intro for, I think, probably one of your favorite episodes, right? It has to be. Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Guys, we've got something really exciting coming up. We have an interview with one of the co-creators of the podcast that you have heard Ashley talk about so many times. Yes. 1865. Yes. And so just as a little lead in here, I'm going to share with you what it is for those of you who may not be familiar. And Ashley's going to give you a little bit more of the background of how this interview came to be. So here we go. 1865 is a historical fiction podcast produced by Airship and distributed by Wondery. It was created by Stephen Walters and Eric Archilla, written by Stephen Walters and Eric Archilla, directed by Stephen Walters and Rob McCollum, with music by Lindsey Graham. And the premise of the show, just to to really simplify, is it follows Edwin Stanton in the wake of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. 1865, to me, is one of the best historical fiction podcasts ever. The story, the voice acting, the music, it it just all culminates in this, like, audio feast for our ears. (laughs) I heard the preview for it about a year before it became available to me, and I was... I'm, I'm not kidding. I was besotted. I I could not wait to hear it, but it was kind of behind a paywall at first and then it became free to other people. And that's when I just binged it. I, I after I listened to it, I found everybody I could on social media and I completely embarrassed myself by following them and piling on the compliments. I just knew that this show was going to catapult to success. And I'm really excited for them that what we learned during the interview is that around November of 2022, I think you said that mm-hmm. they have now passed the milestone of 6 million downloads, which is amazing. Yes. Amazing. Yes. And I'm even more excited that one of the co-creators, like we said, Eric Archilla is going to talk to us today. So we are going to take you to that interview right now, except first we want to share with you just a little trailer for season one of 1865 to give you a little taste of it. Yes, so here it is. Telegram, April 15th, 1865. Abraham Lincoln died this morning at 22 minutes after seven o'clock. Christ almighty, we are in the middle of a coup, Marshal. Find and secure the vice president now. Right away, sir. Who, the actor? He's involved in this mess? With Lincoln gone, who will hold the South accountable? There is no one left, Major. Only this office and those who command it. You and I are something of an arranged marriage, Stanton. 
I didn't choose you, and you didn't choose me. I don't know if Johnson's a bumbling fool or something much more insidious. That man is no Abraham Lincoln. He's dangerous. Andrew Johnson is complicit in the murder of Abraham Lincoln. Mr. President, Edwin Stanton has an agenda. I'm going to force Lincoln's reconstruction policy down Johnson's throat. The plan is a Trojan horse, Mr. President. And what's waiting inside? Negro suffrage. The people want blood, Mr. President. I'm going to give it to them, with or without your support. Secretary Stanton, how did he die? Uh, Miss Hale. Did he suffer? Miss Hale, please. <laughs> Mr. President, it confounds me. You can't see what's happening right under your very nose. I know it's a problem. Problem you were supposed to have under control. This did not come from me, I assure you. This is from the President. No one can know about this. Are you going to explain yourself? I swear, until every loyalist Southern general who refuses to stand down is eviscerated. Until the head of Jefferson Davis is delivered to me on a spike, no quarter will be given. They have killed our father. Bring me their heads. 1865, a historical audio drama, coming soon. Welcome to Eric Archilla to Scandalwater. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you because I have been a huge fan for so many years, and I know that I've plugged this show on our podcast before, and mm -hmm. I've talked to Candy about it, and now I've got her listening to it, so I feel like I'm just like one-woman promotion for you all. So I really <laughs> appreciate that. The check is in the mail. <laughs> yes, I will, I will take it. Our February theme this month is creators and innovators, and so while... I would like to talk about 1865. What I more want to talk about is the creation of 1865. For some of those people out there like myself who who do create media, we want to talk about how did you start and how did you get to where you are? My first question for you, give us a bit of your background. Who were you by way of occupation when you came up with the idea? And who are you now by way of occupation when you and Stephen Walters came up with the idea? So if you've listened to the show, you've heard me touch on it a couple of times, but it's actually a pretty long story because we actually came up with the idea when we were in college. Steve and I were both theater majors and at Baylor University, and we had a theater history professor that wanted us to write a term paper. And my partner and I did not want to write a term paper. So we said, is there anything <laughs> else we can do? Uh -huh. We were assigned the 19th century. And if you know American history, theater history, there's not a whole lot that happens in the 19th century other than and minstrel shows and Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, what can we do? And we saw the Booth family on the list and we said, hey, can we write a show about John Wilkes Booth instead? And he said, yes. He, he agreed to let us do that. And that kind of started that little seed. We wrote this terrible play about John Wilkes <laughs> Booth in college. And then many, many years later, we had a theater company in Dallas called Second Thought Theater Company. It's still going. We're not involved with it anymore. It's kind of grown grown past us. But uh, they applied for a grant at the Donald Wilhelm Family Fund Foundation, and we got that grant and were able to mount a production of it that was really awesome. At the time, the story was just about John Wilkes Booth and, okay. then, and the assassination, and then that's kind of the beginnings of that friend of ours named Lindsey Graham and Rob McCollum, they were involved in a podcast called Terms. Yes, and okay. Terms is an audio drama, a modern political audio drama. Mm -hmm. And they approached us and said, hey, what would you guys think about possibly turning your thing into a podcast? And we we jumped on it. Okay. Uh, so you so guys that's were, kind of how it happened. So you were friends with Lindsey 
before this became a podcast. Yes. And at the time, Lindsey Graham, not the senator, we, we were right, talking about Lindsey right. Graham, uh, the podcaster, he had started doing the the commercials for Wondery for some of their podcasts. And then they asked him to do, I believe it was American History Tellers. Yeah, that's And show. so that's, that's the podcast he started actually voicing. And then from there, he started his own company, Airship. Mm-hmm. and wanted to to start creating his own content. And that's where he brought us in. Nice. So for, to answer, long story short, we came into it from sheer luck, <laughs> like sheer absolute <laughs> luck that the opportunity opened itself, which one of the things that I tell my students at my school all the time, it's all about networking, yes. uh, building those yes. relationships. And we worked hard and created some, some good content on stage. And because of those networking connections, it kind of opened a door for us. Nice. So you started with Wondery from the very beginning. You were already with a network in that way. So Wondery is just the distributor. So all of the production is done through Airship. So we record it, we produce it. Wondery is strictly the distributor. So they, because Lindsay already had a relationship with them, he brought the podcast to them and said, hey, here's this podcast. Can we work a deal to distribute? And they take a certain percentage of our ad sales and distribute it for us. What do you do now? So now I'm a teacher. I teach theater arts at the Richardson High School Theater Magnet in Richardson, Texas, and the theater magnet is a theater performance magnet and a technical theater magnet. They do really, really awesome work, and I'm I'm so like fortunate and blessed to be here. So I, I have awesome kids, and it's just a, a terrific department. I always joke that they're going to bury me in the floor here because I'm never <laughs> leaving. <laughs> Just found one of those schools that that you just never want to leave. That's and just great. the the school in general, the environment, the the staff that I work with, the the students here, the it's just incredible. Nice plug for your school. Yes. Why did you guys decide to go to the podcast version, and why did you decide to switch from Booth to Stanton? as your main character in that switch? Great question. So we had this run of of Booth in Dallas. The houses were sold out every night. It had a really, really awesome reception. And from that point, we started workshopping it because the plan was we were going to do try to do a run in New York. And Ooh. so we, we had a couple Dallas workshops and read-throughs. We also took a workshop to New York and had a reading there. And what we found... From reading it, the more compelling story was Stanton's. I remember one specific audience comment that we had, because we did, I thought they do talk specific comments that they, one of the audience members made was, I understand now why Booth did what he did. And I'm like, whoa, like, we want you to like know the story. But they, the way that the comment came, it was like they were empathizing with him. And we were like, whoa, 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 not what we were trying to do. And it was only one comment, but that like really stuck under our skin because we like, we we did not want people to empathize with Booth and killing our most beloved president uh, in our nation's history. And so we, again, the, the story that we found more compelling was Stanton's battle for civil rights. Since we were taking this play and expanding it to 13, 14 episodes, we found that we had a whole lot more ground to cover with mm-hmm. what happened on Stanton's side of the story, what happened with the politics in America, what happened with equal rights and the battle for or the battle against Andrew Johnson and everything he was trying to block and the battle to save Lincoln's legacy. Mm-hmm. And so we found in our New York reading that Booth was actually more of the catalyst for all of this and not who the story was centered around. I remember a very tired and heartbroken conversation on a balcony in New York when we were kind of talking through the story. We had just had our reading, and Steve was like, I know you're going to hate me to say this, but I 
don't think that Booth deserves to be in the story at all anymore. I was like, what? <laughs> it was like, right. yeah, we're going to take this play called Booth and remove the character of Booth. Right. Um, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? And then <laughs> the more that like, we talked about it and like really kind of broke down the story, he was totally right that Stanton was our protagonist. And if you know anything about Stanton or if you've listened to the show, it's we find it very ironic that Stanton's character like demanded the story be told about him and he kind of commandeered the story and took it over for us yeah yes. uh, which if you're if you're a writer you know sometimes that happens your characters kind of take a life of their own and they do he certainly did yeah so booth became your inciting incident instead of your main character yeah, exactly. And then everything kind of launched from there. We ended up doing on the podcast three bonus episodes about Booth, which was basically the majority of what fell on the cutting floor for the on main the series of what was left of the play. Um, so we expounded on yes, that. Yes, because I always have to warn thing. my friends when they get to the Booth episodes. I'm like, guys, yes. it's going to be a little it, different. <laughs> yeah, the, the opening of uh, yes. episode 14, watch out. Yes, <laughs> it is not for little ears. Well, none, it of, it, is none of it is for little ears, but that's definitely not for little ears yeah my i had to, to warn my aunt about that when she was listening to it. i was like please just <laughs> skip the first scene and so why did you guys even um, do that just for the sensationalism of it this this is a conversation that that Lindsay and steve and i had and i think the if i remember correctly because it's been a while the the final take on it was that what better way to paint booth as his type of person by yeah having him be a ladies man it was just a really nice introduction to him in a very mm -hmm. shocking way it is very um, shocking for the for those that that haven't heard the show it's it's just a uh, a very intimate scene with booth and a lady of the night that yes. he has has met and it was just a way for him to kind of talk about himself and his family yes um, without feeling too expository as somebody who's interested in these events in this time of history. I've read several books. And so one of my thoughts was how interesting it was that by choosing Edwin Stanton as your protagonist, it's actually a different story for me. Like the, I'm I'm drawn in because there are so many elements that I'm nuances or perspectives that I wasn't really aware of by having read the things that I've read. So I thought that was an interesting choice. That That's what was so shocking to me when we started delving into the story is that history has largely erased Edwin Stanton. And I don't know if that was kind of the, the lost cause push that happened in the early 1900s, if that was just um, Stanton's enemies, but but he is not talked about in school at all anymore. And he mm -hmm. single-handedly three different times saved our country. And yeah. so it's just really, really strange that we don't talk about him anymore. But right. uh, I, I think the the one of the books that talked about him was Manhunt briefly would would delve on him throughout. There's a, a great book by Walter Starr about Stanton that we read after the fact that we were like, oh, we wish he had this if book only. earlier because there were so many good nuggets about him that we didn't know. And then I remember Bill O'Reilly's book, which of mm -hmm. all the research I did, it was my least favorite book. However you feel about Bill O'Reilly, the, the book I found was really, it really laid heavily into the conspiracies and mm. but it was like really light on the history okay um, so that, that was not a big fan but it did talk about stanton mm -hmm. so so between those books it, it got our, our interest peaked a lot more but i ended up having to go back to i've mentioned the book several times but frank abiel flowers book i believe it was like 1898 that uh really delved really well into stanton's life and he actually interviewed people that knew stanton and had all these great stories about him i actually found that book by accident because yeah. my wife at the time worked at barnes and noble 
available. And when we started delving into the story, she was like, well, let me look on book on books on Stanton. And it was one of those books that was one of the reprints. They reprint a lot of old books and, and that one stood out and was just really fantastic. Like you said, he saved the country, but he also ran the country for a yeah. while. So he saved Buchanan from letting the South just leave. That's one of the things that Flowers book talks about is that Buchanan was on the fence about, hey, let's just let them secede. And he was like, no, you can't let this happen. Basically stopped him from allowing them to take all of our forts down south and just just book it. And then obviously during the 12 day manhunt, he was leading the country. He was the only person that stepped in and, and took control, basically like a, a dictator for those 12 days. Right the largest manhunt in our nation's history and then and then obviously his battle to to save the country from Johnson right and and then everything he did during the war so i would say four times that he really stepped up and helped save the country yeah one of the things that really struck me is that first episode i re-listened to the first episode before we did the interview and he says what happens if the president and the vice president and the um what's the third person the secretary of, the House? of state secretary of state what happens yeah, at the time it was out? secretary of state yeah they don't know so i thought i thought that was fantastic yeah at the time there were the i think it was the the senate pro tem can't remember exactly but the order of succession was different Without vice president and president and secretary of state, secretary of state's the one who had to initiate a new election for president mm -hmm. in light of the president's absence. And and without the secretary of state, there was nothing constitutional we could do. So we would have what been do you in a think really, would have happened really bad spot if they well, had taken out all three of them. You look at politics today and you look at politics back then. And one of the things that our show shows and and also another show that I worked on, American Elections Wicked Game. Mm -hmm. In researching that, and if you listen to that podcast as well, it's really obvious that politics has not changed. It's always been vicious. It's always mm -hmm. been mudslinging. Uh, mm -hmm. We always feel like things are worse now or better mm -hmm. now. But it's always been the same. We've gone through these periods of high tension, and I can't imagine what things would be like at that time coming out of the war and coming out of this uncertainty for how mm -hmm. to put the country back together and then to not have a certainty of who's going to be leading, leading the country. It. Yeah. Right. That would have been disastrous. Yeah, mm -hmm. that would have been the ruin of the country. Well, switching gears just a little bit, you obviously have all this expertise and a huge background with, you know, visual performances, the performing arts. Could you give our listeners some advice about how it's different when you are writing for audio productions versus <laughs> ones that are performed on stage? Stage so that, that definitely definitely changes the game. The the important thing with audio is you always have to begin a scene knowing first of all who's in the scene, who am I going to be hearing, who's in the room because it's always jarring to the audience if you have two people talking and then randomly some other person will talk. We didn't know they were there the entire time. You have to establish location. You have to to establish like what room are they in what if if there's something visual like the character takes a gun out and sets it on the desk that obviously in a visual medium is is very impactful and immediately we know that the the you know the power is shifted in the scene but you don't mm -hmm. get those power shifts except vocally in audio so it's it's definitely a, a different game and you want to never try to be too obvious or campy with it so that's mm -hmm. the challenge is how can I mm -hmm. tell the audience these things in a in a more organic way mm -hmm. that they're going to enjoy the story and not be pulled out that I'm going, Hey, how's it going, Jim? Oh, I'm yeah. great, Bob. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming into my office. <laughs> so it's, 
really hard. It's, it's finding ways to work it into conversation and to have reasons for people to enter and reasons mm -hmm. for people to address someone so that it, it just becomes part of the challenge as the writer. Yeah, I noticed that you will you would have each character introduce them introduce themselves or call each other by name in each scene, like, hello, Mr. Secretary, or something where it sounded more organic. But I notice almost every scene, the name is said at least once to identify here's whose voice you're hearing and here's who that person is. So then when they go on talking, you've figured out whose voice you're listening to. And you hope that when you're casting your actors, you're you're keeping an ear for whose voices are unique. You want their voices to stand out. If you have two actors that sound too similar, mm -hmm. that, that can be very, very problematic. So mm -hmm. I would encourage anybody that's casting an audio drama to keep an ear on that. When you're doing auditions, listen to that person's voice alongside the other voices. And if they sound too similar, then you need to make a, a judgment call to cast one or the other because that will be very problematic for your series if yeah. two actors sound alike. Yeah, it will. So I was just going to ask, since you do have to consider all of those elements and establishing location and who's in the room, do you find that you have to almost do a read through or workshop it? Or are you now so proficient at this that you can write that episode and you know it's going to be okay? You just have to fine tune it a little bit when the actors perform it. We we never have time for that. First of all, our our actors are all incredible professionals. If you've not listened to the show, the the talent we have in the show is tremendous. The show would not be what it is without them. Especially our Bruce Elliott, who plays Johnson, and Jeremy Schwartz, who plays Stanton. They're fantastic. Mm -hmm. And what's great about them because they are both voiceover actors with long careers. Jeremy Schwartz has a long career in in voiceover on TV and film. Our Bruce Elliott does a lot of anime with Funimation, which is here in Dallas. And they're such amazing professionals that a lot of what you hear is cold read. Mm, uh, wow. They walk in, they sit down, they'll read it. Maybe we'll do two or three takes. And usually the last take is what you keep. And they're incredible. Jeremy Schwartz, some of his Stanton is the first time he's ever said it. My gosh. Which is just amazing. Amazing. When he um, said the line, I think it's in the trailer, they have killed our father, bring me their head. I'm always like, ah! <laughs> like Sparta! Yes. Um, yeah, it I gets you like riled up. Battle. It does. <laughs> I'm like, yes, we have to catch them. It's amazing. So, I mean, obvi it's obvious to us now that listening, he is Stanton. But did, did you audition a lot of actors for that? Or what was it about Jeremy that you went, this is this is what Stanton sounds like? We went through several Stantons over the course of the play. We, through the, the production we did, the, the first Stanton, the person who originated the role, was actually our department chair from Baylor, uh, which was kind of exciting because Steve and I had announced that we were doing the show and then he invited us to do a read-through at Baylor of the play originally. So we went down there and did a read-through of the play. That's actually where we first brought Johnson into the story was locking ourselves in Baylor for a week and just writing down there and then doing the workshop. And and then after the workshop, he had read Stanton for us and then that kind of opened the door for him doing it for the show. And then when we went to our workshop levels, we had a couple different other people read Stanton. As playwrights always want to hear multiple people read your pieces mm -hmm. just to know if if does this play sound good because the play is good or is it because the actor is good right uh, because some actors can make anything sound great right so you always want to want to get different voices on it and see if you're hearing
hearing the same thing, see if they bring out a new element to the role that you didn't consider. And then, but I think with the podcast, I think Jeremy Schwartz was our clear front runner. Like we heard his voice and we were like, that's it. And we, and we obviously had, had auditioned the role, but we, the second we heard his voice, we knew that he was it. Yeah. That gravel in his voice and that uh, power to it is just incredible. It is. Was it the same for Johnson? So R. Bruce Elliott was Johnson in the play. So he is the only person to ever play that role. So he did the play at at Second Thought and has always been Johnson. Anytime I read it, I hear his voice. Anytime (laughs) I'm doing anything, I'm here, Mr. Stanton. (laughs) In fact, one of the the funny things I do with the the podcast, not everybody may know, is that we have a um, Stanton and a Johnson Twitter account. Uh, And every time I'm tweeting in stanton and johnson tweets i hear their voices so i wondered if it was you so that was funny. running that account <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a funny account then they'll fight with each other they'll on fight Twitter. with each other and <laughs> it's so funny That's awesome. it was hands down his voice well you mentioned how talented your actors are but it still has to be a little different i would think especially if you know that you're going into it and, and you you want to be able to come out with this episode after just one or two takes. So my question is, are there any specific directing considerations for when you are trying to get the episode you want out of your actors? So the show's been directed both by Rob McCollum and Steve Walters. Uh, they kind of alternate back and forth. Okay. I think they have pretty good feel for the show now. And so when they when they hop back and forth, I don't think you notice a difference. But we always, it seems like they always have the actors do sometimes a more subtle take and a take that has a little bit more edge to it or a little bit more power. And then we'll, in the in the editing process, kind of pick which one we like better. So a lot of the choices are made on the editing side as well. Mm-hmm. But again, we're we're working with very talented actors and usually it just takes one or two notes from Rob or Steve and they nail it. So it's just a matter of, again, finding that talent that you don't have to give them line reads and coach them because you never as a director want to want to have to, you get frustra- so frustrated that you tell the actor how to say the line. You want them to own it right. and feel it and be organic with it. But, but they, they do a fantastic job of that and normally it's just a tonal note at the top they'll say hey because the, the actors haven't seen the full script they'll say hey this is what's happening in the scene this character's coming in from here this character's feeling this and maybe this this is the action we want you to play and, and mm-hmm. they nail it are the actors they're all in the same room doing the scene at the same time or do you record some of their vocals individually so it's been sporadic when we first started it was before covid and we were able to get the actors in the same room and then once covid hit we had to obviously do everything separately for season two but it's it's it depends on the actor depends on the scene if it's jeremy schwartz and r bruce elliott we like to get them in the room together if they have a scene together we'll bring the two of them in the booth so that they can actually look at each other and talk to each other montgomery sutton who did booth lives in new york so all of his work and william jackson harper who did langston all of his work they, they both live in new york we had to do that remotely so that's the actor just reading their lines and, and me or steve reading across from them i played lucy hale a couple of times <laughs> Um, I'm sure those recordings are somewhere, but uh, it's just us reading back and forth to them. Monty has a home studio and he records there a lot. And usually Mm -hmm. we'll be like, hey, Monty, can we have this person come over to your studio? And and he's super gracious, one of the nicest actors I've ever worked with. And he always invites people over to record. That's really nice. Like you said, Mm -hmm. networking, connections. And and also William Jackson Harper is probably one of the, the most fantastic human beings that I know so so happy for his success on uh, Good Place and other other shows mm-hmm. he's, he's done. Um, he's and fantastic. what role was he in your podcast? Remind people. 
Langston. So he's yes. John Mercer Langston, who is one of the civil rights leaders that we tried to work into the show. And he's another character that it, it's astonishing that we don't know much about him mm-hmm. because he was kind of the the guy behind the scenes in a lot of things, writing the 14th Amendment. He actually met with John Brown before the Harper's Ferry raid. So he's just been always like present. And that's why when we discovered his character and found his like connections with everything, it was like, why? Why haven't we had him here before? And the other cool thing is that he is there from the very beginning, like I said, with John Brown and helping to recruit soldiers into the war. And then we have, he has this amazing story that we want to get into hopefully later where he becomes the first black senator for Virginia and is unable to take his seat for like two years because, or a year and a half of his two-year term because they were trying to fight it and not let him oh. have a seat. And then he ends up becoming one of the last black congressmen from the South because of Jim Crow and everything else that happens with the fallout of the 1872 election. Mm-hmm. So he's there through the entire story and it's really cool to see his rise politically mm-hmm. in America and then his fall. Mm-hmm tragic. So you've mentioned in some of your behind the scenes episodes, and you actually referenced it just a bit ago as well, how much you guys try to pull from historical sources, you know, primary sources. But then again, it's historical fiction, there are parts that are fictionalized. In general, do you find that there are certain parts that are more historical versus the parts you have to fictionalize? Like, how does that play out? We, we'd never know exactly what their conversations are in a room. That was that was what was so great about the booth section is that a lot of the conversations are actual conversations because really? the booth trial, they all of the booth testimony, you can get a PDF of it. It's, it's all there. And they rec- recount so many of their conversations. And so that was a wealth of knowledge for us to be able to pull from. Um, mm-hmm. We know what they said when they arrested Mary Surratt and Thomas Paine. Uh, Louis Paine, not Thomas Paine. That's a totally different person. Uh, <laughs> but we know what they said when they arrested them. We know, at least from one person's perspective, what conversations were between them and John Wilkes Booth. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have to take everything from a grain of salt. That's the challenge with doing historical pieces is you have to look at who does my source favor? Are they being truthful? Because with Stanton and Johnson, people either loved them or hated them. Mm-hmm. And so right. if you read a source at the time, they're either going to be praising Johnson and hating on Stanton or they're going to be hating on Johnson and praising Stanton. And so you kind of have to listen to both sides and, and kind of build that picture for yourself. So that are, that's mm-hmm. our challenge. We always wanted to stay as historically accurate as we could. We didn't want to do anything that was utterly contradictory to what we know is history. But mm-hmm. then our job, I, I always think of Jurassic Park. Uh, we took the dinosaur's <laughs> DNA yes. and then we filled it in with our own frog DNA to make the show work. Candy, everything goes back to Jurassic Park. Yes. It all does. It all does. It, there's not. There's hardly any episode where I don't say something about Jurassic Park. So that wasn't me this time. He did it. I didn't think she could love you anymore. <laughs> she That's funny. So my, my follow-up question is, kind of on a personal level, my mom and I are working, uh, just finished a draft for a historical fiction play. So something that we struggled with was the same. We wanted to pull from the sources, but in some cases you had to do that narrative economy or you had to change history a little bit or make up the conversations because you don't know what was said. So do you ever feel any, I don't know other word for it other than guilt. Do you ever feel like, oh, this isn't really what happened and people are going to believe it? Or how do you feel about making 
new history? And do you worry that people are going to think that's the gospel? First of all, I think since we were we're taking such pains to respect the history, mm-hmm. you still have, in the end have to tell a good story. Uh, right. And you want the the characters to have drama and, and each scene to have a conflict. You're going to have to fill in those gaps. I, I think because we felt like we had done our due diligence on the historical side of things, that when we went to fill in the conversations that we, we don't know happened or the conflicts that we don't know happened, we felt felt like we yeah we, we didn't feel any guilt with that uh, okay. because we we knew we had done our part to, to keep it honest in, to the historical figure but also except for i think johnson we we threw in a lot of we like to give him weird colloquial sayings uh <laughs> that i don't know if he actually used those but it was just really funny and, and true yeah. to his character but we're at the end of the day happy with the product and, mm-hmm. and happy with with how it all turned out so i don't i don't think we felt bad about it and then i think the other thing that helped us was doing a talk back with each episode right right gave us a chance to tell the audience hey we took this a little far we had a little mm-hmm. fun with this this thing happened this didn't so i think that absolved us of any historian hearing it and going that is not true that's they never said true. that right and uh, that's why i wonder talk about it i wondered if that was one of the reasons for the behind the scenes episodes so you could kind of say just in case you didn't know this didn't really happen or we fi- i liked that i really liked yeah. that you all did that and, and i i've been honored to have Several people listen to the show that are prominent historians Uh that have walked away going, yeah, you guys did a really good job of doing historical drama because it's hard. You're threading a needle. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As you know, from working on it, you're threading a needle to like stay true to the story, but also tell a good story. Right. And if you're lucky, if you if you stumble onto the right historical story, it's going to do that a lot of that work for you. I think a lot of times if you start writing a historical drama and you're struggling to tell a story, it may be telling you that you're telling the wrong story because maybe there's not enough meat there to Mm -hmm. to make a meal of. Is there anything that you fictionalized that you really wish it happened that way in history. I don't know if Stanton actually walked into Mary's cell, but I love that scene. I love those scenes so much. I know one of the big liberties we did take was, which we talked about in the the show, was that when Lincoln came in and asked for security, and that's actually a true anecdote where Lincoln Mm -hmm. walked in and he said, hey, I heard Mr. Eckert, your assistant, can bend iron bars with his bare hands, and he'd be a good person to bring to the show. That's not something that I think Stanton concealed and it's certainly not something that Eckert finds a letter of later we definitely Mm -hmm. lifted that to like give it some drama but I'm sure that Stanton carried a lot of guilt for not giving more security to Lincoln at the Mm -hmm. Ford so so we wanted to elevate that moment I think that's that's the biggest license we took as far as the history went that it's always like irked me but I'm like it tells a better story to have have Eckert find that. We toyed around with a version where Eckert was there when he said it, and then Eckert the entire time is like, you gotta say something about this, you gotta tell someone, but just the big blow up when he finds yeah. out about it is one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Yeah, I definitely am glad we went the way we did. Is there a character that you really enjoyed writing for, that just, you loved putting together the dialogue for them? Uh, Johnson, always Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's a couple scenes that I wrote in the latter half of season two, and Grant was really fun to write as well Mm -hmm. there was a scene that i co-wrote between grant and eli parker ellie parker eli parker that was was really awesome where he visits him on his deathbed we wrote a couple different versions of that scene but that was a a really awesome scene to write and grant was a whole nother animal because stanton was wild and big and grant was so 
introverted subdued and introverted yeah, yeah. he St stanton we we took from the side of he's a lawyer so he probably likes to talk a lot yeah he likes to hear himself talk yeah. and we had all these anecdotes that he could tell and so we kind of laid into stanton's a storyteller whereas we viewed grant as being a man of little words and it's mm -hmm. really hard it is like gut-wrenchingly yes. hard to have your pr protagonist be someone that doesn't speak very much yes um, yes that was exactly our biggest what, struggle that's what we just ran into with our play that we did because our main character historical hero is someone who is very shy and introverted and yeah. you're like how do i do this but yeah, yeah. It's, season two was way more difficult for us to write steve and i had had panic attacks like we were having nervous breakdowns uh, I bet. also because in that season we had our contract for season two had been with a deadline and so we were fighting the deadline to get the entire season written and by the end we were writing week to week as we were putting it out and that was just oh, never a that's cool. never a situation you want to be in as a writer it's good to have deadlines it's good to have especially if you're adhd like me it's good to have something to force you to get off your butt and work because i work better under stress yeah but that was that was just too much but we were struggling with not only does Grant, Grant's really important to the story, but he doesn't say much. And also he doesn't do much. The The decisions that he would make, unlike Stanton, who there was a lot of conniving and backdoor dealing and mm -hmm. one-upsmanship. And, mm -hmm. and he and Johnson had a really good foil in each other. Grant didn't have that. And so it, it was much more difficult to tell his story in a meaningful way. That's mm -hmm. why we in season two started leaning into some other characters to tell that story because right. we found that he could couldn't carry the season the way that the character the actor was fantastic yes he was um, wonderful absolutely fantastic yeah so i want to give a special shout out to james black who played grant because he did a phenomenal job mm -hmm. uh, but the character the character itself in the writing we didn't have much for him to do sometimes mm -hmm. i think the internal struggle that we worked in with his ptsd and using alcohol to like mm -hmm. help with that gave his scenes some nuance and that james black did a fantastic job at those scenes but it's that's like, why we leaned into other characters to help tell season two it's it's like stanton was a play actor he'd be great on stage but grant was a movie actor yeah. you know if you could compare the two probably grant you would have seen nuances on his face and depth of feeling and that's harder yeah. to bring across in a podcast much harder and james yeah. black does a fantastic job at that it just the little subtle gasps and the way that he interprets the lines is it's just phenomenal that he puts across so much emotion and so little a word I would think it would also be tough for you guys because you would be coming off of this juggernaut of success of season one. So there's that added pressure. It's like, what do you follow up to kill a mockingbird with? You know, Harper Lee spent the rest of her life going, I can't do it. But that would be, that would be intimidating to me. Well, I appreciate it? that. Yeah, it was, it was uh, a, a lot of pressure to make it, make it good. And I, I think in the end, I think we did it. I think we nailed it. I, I love season two and I love the bigger story it tells. It, it does like any sequel should. It, it takes the picture and then zooms out and mm -hmm. expands it and, and finds relevance in, in new things. And yeah, I really, really love season two. About how long did it take you guys to write each episode? Have you, have you talked about that? It's, I don't know. It's hard to put a time on it. The I would say in writing in writing the first season, 
I spent about three or four months of reading and research. We broke story on it. We broke story on it again several times. What does that mean? What does break story mean? uh, So Steve and I will sit down, look at the history, start like bullet pointing. Sometimes we did it with sticky notes on the table. Sometimes we got out a big whiteboard, moving sticky notes on the whiteboard. The sticky notes moved around quite a bit. We would signpost things. We would say, here's the history. So we know that Johnson had issued that he was going to grant this amnesty and we know that two or three days later that Stanton called Ella Starr as a witness to the prosecution. She never actually spoke anything, but so we started looking at these historical nuggets of Mm -hmm. this happened and this happened, and then we would have to look at cause and effect. Why did this thing cause this thing? And that's where we would delve into, we need a scene with Johnson where he says he's going to do this, and then we need a scene with Stanton that's going to say, oh yeah, if you're going to do this, then I'm going to do this. Okay. Um, And then other things would come out of that. Sometimes we'd get into a moment we were like we really need johnson to come back with something and then we would go back to the history and be like what happened in these couple days and one of the the cool things that happened with that specific moment was that we discovered that the supreme court justice died the day before he called mary to the jail so in between those two events those three days that happened the day between them the supreme court justice died and that's what stanton always wanted so that was one of those cases where we looked at the history and the history helped us tell that story because we're like holy cow like mm-hmm. that's the thing that stanton's always wanted so it's it's really clear that that could be something that johnson came in and said hey guess what? if you don't do this thing i'll give you this thing here's a little quid pro quo Stanton's like no i'm calling mary to the stand i mean calling uh um, ella star to the stand that was kind of the process of breaking story we have to look at the history we have to look at what are what is the arc of the protagonist what are the conflicts that happen along the way Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we would start separating into episodes like we think episode one could be from this to this event and we found that it started to help us to be able to jump around in time a little more so we would start jumping forward sometimes by a month sometimes by a year because the story moves especially in Grant's story we're trying to squeeze eight years into eight or seven or eight episodes right right that's what what we would do breaking story and and then sometimes we would go back to the drawing board and we would see that something's not working and have to move everything around season two we ended up doing a page one rewrite so we did we had our season we had it laid out and then we just weren't happy with where it was going and kind of got stuck in this this plot quagmire and then we were like no let's go back to the drawing board wow uh, and had to like remove all the pieces the cool thing is at that time steve is a brilliant brilliant writer but one of the things he really excels at is remembering every version of every scene he's ever had oh uh, i'm good at keeping all the scenes like i i have it all organized and have everything so i know the versions when he needs something where to go back and find it yeah but when he's restitching something together or reworking something he's really good at it going oh yeah remember that version of that scene i'm gonna pull that dialogue i'm gonna use this and he does a great job of never Never reusing something twice like if he had a conversation that he works in he yeah. remembers he's used it or not used it so he's he's really brilliant at, at that and sometimes his brain works way faster than mine <laughs> what writing program did you guys use predominantly what we used was google docs okay we we found that google docs was the best 
mm-hmm. because we could leave comments for each other. We can right. make suggestions. It keeps old versions of things, both in my school and in, in working on 1865. The entire Google suite, I can't say enough about. During COVID, I had my students co-writing on Google Docs or making presentations together on Google. Like it's, sorry, plug for Google. I should be making money from this. <laughs> uh, but it is a fantastic way to collaborate with someone else online and be able to see what they're doing and we started originally using Dropbox and working in the same file. And what we found then is that Dropbox started making all these copies of a file. If we both went to the doc at the same time, it would make an extra one. And then we're suddenly uh... like in this weird labyrinth of which doc is the one that's right. Yeah. Um, but Google Docs doesn't allow you to do that. It's okay. all live. Someone's writing in it. I see those changes happening in real time. Sometimes Steve would be in a doc and I'd see his cursor writing and I'd hop in there and click the cursor and be like, say something you. mean to him. And then, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing up this late? Yeah. Go to bed. And then he'll hop back in and respond with something. And so it was always funny when that happened. Yeah, that's what Candy and I use for our interview questions is we use Google Docs. and But what my mom and I would use is I use Scrivener for the formatting. So I had the main copy in Scrivener. We would work in Google Docs and make changes. And then I'd have to go back and pay. So it's a little bit of legwork to do it that way. But it keeps me from having to format in Google Docs. On the editing side, the program we tend to use the most on our end as creators is uh, Reaper, is the, oh, the program that I've not uh, heard of that. I had not heard of it either, but it was a, a really simple. I, I do a lot of audio editing, so I, I use Pro Tools and Audacity. And if anybody still has this, I, I still have Acid Pro on my PC, which is a really old program. Yeah. But, but we found Reaper was really, really user friendly. And so generally, we would record the audio and then myself. And, and Rob and Steve would be the ones then to assign different episodes and, and then take the audio and cut it together. And mm-hmm. then we would give a raw cut to Lindsay, who would then do his pass for all the um, sound effects and the music and the, the equalizing and stuff. That is a perfect segue because that was my next question. I would like you to just wax poetic about Lindsey Graham and his Foley and his music. Just tell us about everything that he contributed to 1865 because it is beautiful. He's a fantastic composer. You walk into a studio, he's got a bunch of beautiful guitars and instruments, but he just as a, as a hobby is is just something he enjoys on his spare time. He just writes and, and plays music and he brought in a phenomenal violin player that yes. came in and, and recorded the the title sequence for us he and rob did the foley sound so rob lives in a house that has wooden floors and so they just literally brought in all of the recording stuff and spent an entire weekend walking around and setting things down and opening doors and clanking glasses and they just literally almost all of the audio you hear throughout the the two seasons where there's doors or footsteps or that was all done in that one weekend and they just made a Okay, I told Candy, I thought he went to a farmhouse. I thought I remembered hearing that he had gone to a farmhouse and I didn't realize it was Rob's house. They did a couple other locations as well, but the majority of it, I I believe, was in Rob's house. And they just, yeah, got all of that, the recording done. And so then throughout the series, he just pulls from that when he needs it. Obviously, we had to to revamp that for season two when we had more Foley sound that we needed. But Mm -hmm. the other great thing that Lindsay is a brilliant person about is when you're creating the sound of a room he does a really good job at giving the room space at giving the the actors direction so you know exactly where they're standing in the room and if you're listening in stereo like you can close your eyes and you can feel like you're in the room and Mm -hmm. feel like this actor's standing right there and that actor's a couple feet away Mm -hmm. he's brilliant at that stuff he brought in a couple other people as as he's 
taking on other projects. There's a few other other people that helped to edit the sound for season two, but he did a lot of season one. Yeah, he's amazing. He is amazing. I love that violin music. It's so good. And I love it because it also reminds me of the intro to the Civil War, Ken Burns' documentary. Yep. It has shades of that. And that's just, yeah. I love that music. I think he was trying to give a nod to it, but he also tried to work in a little bit of synthesized sound mainly as a tension builder throughout the series mm-hmm. so he he did a really nice blend of doing historical sound but also making it feel relevant and keeping the audience kind of on the edge of their seat he succeeded so statistics say that there are something like four million podcasts in the world and the vast majority of those have failed <laughs> you guys have obviously been very successful. So I know we've talked about some elements that are very strong already, but what would you consider to be some of those factors that you think have led to your success? So we uh, we just reached 6 million downloads, which is ah, pretty awesome for an audio wow. drama that has 24 episodes or whatever yeah. it is. So that was pretty exciting. But unfortunately, it just hasn't translated to a monetary success. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, it's, I can't, complain that it's paid some bills when I need to pay a bill. But that's the the trouble with audio drama is that it's hard to find advertisers that want to advertise for it because they don't mm-hmm. view it as a as a real medium. So mm-hmm. that's been the struggle. If you're doing a you know a true crime podcast and you get a giant following, there's a lot of advertisers, but for audio drama it's, it's a struggle. But this is a true crime story. But it is a true crime story. It is a true crime uh, story. <laughs> Maybe I'll tell you to remarket it yes. in 65 <laughs> and then do like a slash through it or something. <laughs> but for us, it's been primarily word of mouth, which I, I think speaks to the quality of, I think, what we were able mm-hmm. to, like, the stars aligned and, and mm-hmm. shed the right actors, right writers, right directors, and right producer and it all just came together and and i think just because of word of mouth it's just continued to get listeners and i think the other benefit that we've had is that because Lindsay is such a predominant name in podcasting just just yeah. having him involved is, is yeah. huge yeah. Um, so a lot of his listeners came over from american history tellers and american scandal mm-hmm. so yeah. i would say yeah word of mouth and networking yeah really that's that's still, I mean, we were talking about this the other day for our theater. How do we get word out about shows? And everything is so oversaturated that if you it try is. to advertise, and even if you tried to advertise on television, there's so many different channels. What do you pick? Or And people just scroll through or skip. They can always skip the ads. And it's still just word of mouth and networking. Yep. Yeah, it comes down to what are you listening to right now that, mm-hmm. that sounds good and, and people sharing that word. I mean, it's like my students were earlier talking about the TV shows they were watching right now. There's so, like you said, so much saturation and it just takes someone saying, Adam's family's really good for everybody to watch it. It's, yeah, it's all word of mouth. Just for fun, do you have a moment that comes to mind, like one of those big celebratory moments when, when you were like, this is it, we've made it or something really great happened for for you guys? I think the first time was uh, when I knew Josh Gad really liked our show, who's the voice of Olaf. Yeah, we had, we had heard from Lindsay's manager, who's also the manager of Josh Gad, that he listened to the show and really liked it. And then when he put out the Blood Ties, which was his his audio drama, he yes. talked about it in the talk back. He said, there's a show I really like, 1865. I was like, yeah! <laughs> um, that actually was cool coincidence that I was able to milk because I was able to get Josh Gad to come in when COVID first hit and they canceled school and our seniors weren't going to walk at graduation and mm-hmm. we went to virtual josh cat had put out on twitter hey willing to talk to some classes and so i reached out to him and was like hey can you talk to my class uh, and he came mm-hmm. in and did a 
a Zoom with my class, and that was really exciting for them. That is uh, exciting. So it was, it was like that's one of those connections. I was like, I'm gonna gonna use it. That's right. Um, <laughs> you gotta so do it. Came in and, and talked to them, which was really awesome. And then there were a couple of podcast magazines that talked about it. So it was just cool to see it in print, see a, an mm-hmm. article about our show, and be like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's my my show. So that's been exciting. And I think there was one time I'm trying to remember the the circumstance, but where somebody heard my name and they were like, wait, do you write for 1865? I was like, really? that was the first time <laughs> in public that somebody had like heard my name and and recognize me and I was like that was kind of cool because that never happens happened to me one time in the past where when I when I did a lot more acting before my son was born I did You're a Good Man Charlie Brown at, at Theater 3 in Dallas and I was at the mall and this little kid comes up and goes hey you're Linus hey mom dad it's my best friend Linus oh. I was like oh uh, so that was the <laughs> other time I was recognized in public but uh, that was pretty exciting that is exciting you mentioned your son and of course we've we've heard about your your teaching career. So how do you balance a full-time job and a personal life with writing and producing a podcast? Ooh, it's been been rough. The early research process for season one, it was a lot of late nights, a lot of me trying to read when I can. That time my son, I think was two... So he was all over the place, but when he was asleep, I'd try to read and knock out as much as I could. Once we got into the recording, it, it, I had less of the the workload and, and a lot of the editing stuff I could do on my own time. So that's mm-hmm. that's the real benefit to working in audio is that you're you're able to record or able to edit whenever your your time permits. Right. Season two was a nightmare trying mm-hmm. to do the the week to week with other things going on. It was a lot of me talking on the phone with Steve until three in the morning and then getting mm-hmm. up at six to go to work. And so mm. it was it was a rough couple months cranking that out. And and then there's been other times where it just happened to hit in the summer when I wasn't doing something. So mm. it just comes and goes. It's yeah, sleep was not my focus for those few months. Yeah. <laughs> just to clarify for me, when you said you were doing it week to week, do you mean you were writing it and recording it and it was coming out to the public? Every week? Yes. Or do you, oh my gosh. Yep. I think it was the last three or four episodes. That's why mid-season two, we took a break. Okay. Uh, there's a break in the middle where we were like, we're going to wait a couple weeks and, and put out some more episodes because we just needed more time. We were uh-huh. just exhausted and trying to get that, that show out. But it was... Steve and I cranking out a script. I, I'd be ahead of Steve doing some research. So we'd already broken story on it. Sure. But I would be ahead of him looking at the next episode. Here's all the history you need for this scene in the Google Doc. So he can just quickly peruse it and go, cool, this is what I need to know. He'd crank it out. And then he'd send it to me while he was working on the next thing. I'd be reading and editing and send it back to him. And then Lindsay would be calling and recording people from the so we were about a week ahead on the script that uh, and then terrifying. we would be scheduling the actors and it was <laughs> luckily all of our actors were really flexible and they yeah. had to come in and it was a lot costlier because you look at season one we were able to bring an actor in here's all of their lines for the yeah, entire season right let's knock it on all together you know if they have two or three lines in each episode and we're able to get them knocked out in two hours mm-hmm. whereas season two we'd have to bring the same actor back every single time oh, yeah. uh, for each episode so it was you know a lot more expensive on that that route they'd come in and say their couple lines and be done we'd pay mm-hmm. them for the hour so that was definitely a lot costlier on that front so oh yeah i get mm-hmm. i get anxiety if we're just a couple weeks behind like I'm, i <laughs> my my ideal is to be a month ahead and there's been Kenny and I both got sick in December we were supposed to talk to you back in December and just it kind of put us two or three weeks behind so I've had that I could I couldn't fathom 
doing that. Oh, and then and then to mention that, if your actor gets sick, right, that oh. happened in one of our uh, one of our episodes, the episode where Stanton dies, his final episode of. It was actually season one where, where he's tired at the end. And yeah. um, he actually was really sick <laughs> that that episode. And we were like, are you sure you're good to do this? Are you sure yeah. you're good to come record? You know, it'll sound okay because that's what's happening with the character. But he was really, really ill. And I have audio I've not released yet. On our Patreon, we do a In Their Own Words series where mm-hmm. each of the actors reads letters and speeches and stuff from the actual historical character. Um, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple letters. Like I'm, I'm about four episodes in. I've got another three episodes to to put out there. But the the last episode, we have two letters from Stanton right before he dies that are just absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. Uh, he's destitute. He has no money. He's having to write his friend to like ask him for money. And the the notes are just just really heartbreaking. And mm. he was sick when he read it. And you just hear that in his voice. Mm. And it just came out. So it's just mm. one of those weird happy accidents but yeah what do you do on the timetable if your actor loses their voice or like me right now where we have i have allergies and i'm really nasally since you've talked about it do you guys have any plans for season three or is that going to be a while or what do you what's going on there so we are chomping at the bit to do season three we've had the story broken for a long time we've got the the outline for it we already know what we want it to be about we've already kind of broken it into episodes like we have a, a really we've done a lot of the legwork ahead of time i've already found the the books that i'm pulling from and researching after season two because season two we were kind of working on sweat equity uh, and um <laughs> we had to write it and then try to make money on the back end and like i said it was a lot lot costlier uh-huh. so season two i personally didn't, didn't really make a whole lot for all the effort because mm-hmm. it was a lot of work and, and the the season had a lot more expense so we just kind of decided that we're not going to start writing season three until we have have a deal in place and mm-hmm. and it's been a lot of back and forth with uh, trying to get it, a contract on season three so that's that's the main deal we're just waiting yeah. to to find out what happens there and we're hoping to to get that moving soon good i can't wait to hear it can't wait to write it or really <laughs> about season three i was gonna say have you ever thought of doing a prequel and doing some of Lincoln's life? Not specifically Lincoln. We, we thought about doing some earlier Stanton. Uh, mm-hmm, we thought about yeah. flashing back to doing some earlier stuff of his life. We've also talked about doing a prequel season, kind of him through the war. We've talked about it a lot. Originally, we wanted to jump around time periods a lot more. And I think that that's what we may want to do next to jump to something completely different but we we definitely wanted to write these three seasons because i think our third season takes us through to where we wanted to end and so we're hoping to be able to 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 do that one to kind of finish the the trilogy of the the first three seasons and then I think we've got some ideas of where we want to go from there. Good. When you think of your podcast journey, what are some words of inspiration that you would give to aspiring writers or podcasters? Find something you're passionate about. Find something that you you love. I am not a reader. I hate reading. Like all growing up in high school, everything else, like every time I had to read a book for something, it was a struggle. I'm just a slow reader. So it just is just daunting for me. I think the first time that I ever like blew through a series was Harry Potter. Like Mm -hmm. I picked up Harry Potter, couldn't put it down and I like read through the whole thing really fast. But it was also this, like when I found something I was passionate about and geeked out about, like I couldn't 
put it down. And it's something about, especially with audio drama, when you're doing historical fiction and trying to uncover these stories, I, I felt like I was on a mission. And I was like reading these books really fast and going through all these really thick historical documents that other people would find extremely boring. And I'm sitting here like highlighting going, ooh, we can use this. Ooh, yeah. this is great for this and making all these notations. My bookcase at home is full of books that are full of highlight, full of marks in the margins and full of sticky notes. I've got like a color code system of sticky notes where I would geek out about something and or we'd, we'd have a, a thread through the story we were trying to do and I'd go through and go back through the books trying to find things. And uh, so that's I would say, you know, find something you're passionate about because it makes the work enjoyable. It doesn't mm -hmm. make it work. It makes it a, a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Find people that you trust and that you love to work with. That's really important. Get everything in writing. It's always important to do contracts, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you you are doing stuff with your friends because just as I always tell my students, money makes people crazy. Mm -hmm. Money ruins relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's always really important to have a contract before you ever start writing so that you and your, your partner know, like, this is how things break down. If we, if we score a success, this is what happens. It just takes that stress off the relationship and takes away those future battles and struggles. So that's always really important. Keep everything, keep everything. When you write a script, date it and if even if you're cutting scenes from it or you decide you're scrapping it, put it in a folder somewhere. It doesn't hurt to save a doc. It's like, you know, you're ta talking about, you know, 200 kilobytes. But hold on to that file because you never know if you're going to need to go back and find something. You right. never know if you want to go back like with, with our booth play. Even though I hate the play, it's still fun to take it out and share it with someone and be like, look at this original play. It's terrible, but <laughs> but look at how different it is. <laughs> I'd love to, to talk a little bit more about that if you want to hear more about it. Sure. But, yeah, keep everything when you're recording hold on to that stuff that goes on the cutting floor get a get mm -hmm. an external drive i highly rec recommend doing a i can't remember what the the static drive the the ones that don't have the spinning wheel that you know things can can break but if oh. you do a static drive that's like like a flash drive get the hard drives that that don't have any working machinery so there's no chance your hard drives are ever going to die on you but always save a backup because you never know your computer could die your hard drive could go out and suddenly you've lost everything so back up your backups yeah that's very important have a clear eye on who your protagonist is have a clear eye on what their arc is how do they change through the story um mm -hmm. make sure that each scene has some conflict and drives towards that goal that that's been the litmus test for us is once we decided what the who the protagonist of the story was and what story they were telling and we knew what their arc was if something in the story doesn't serve that it's not important to your story mm -hmm. uh, and you find that th things end up on the editing floor because it doesn't tell that story doesn't further what you're what you're there for not furthering that action and so it doesn't deserve to be in the story and we lost a lot of really important characters and scenes like in the in the booth side of things there were a lot of characters that just kind of faded away because they weren't important anymore to the story mm -hmm. like Edwin Booth was one of my favorite characters that we mm -hmm. ended up losing mm -hmm. so uh, hopefully some that's helpful yeah a lot that's of it awesome. is Thank you said you. you said you wanted to talk more about your booth play oh yeah if you just want to hear more about the the original so the original play was basically a memory play it's booth in the barn and mm. they're outside going booth come out he's like you know no i'm not gonna go out without, except on a stretcher and then the play flashes back to his childhood where he's meeting with a fortune teller with his sister asia and they're saying right. that, that you have the darkest life of anyone we've ever seen and right. then it flashes to edward booth and it flashes to kind of building all the way to the end of the story and then 
than it, the the dumb convention that we had, and we were college students, was that then this character appears in the barn, and Booth is like, "Who are you?" And it's like, "I'm the devil." Uh, and then uh, then you you realize that he was all of the character. Every scene had a character that was pushing to do what he did. He was like, "I've been there all along, and I pushed you to do this." Uh, and then Booth gets killed. It was horrible, y'all. <laughs> but uh, but it was it gave us a lot of uh, you know fodder for later. But I think Booth and Lucy Hale and Senator Hale, where he introduces Lucy introduces him to her, her father, is I think the only original scene that made it mm. from the entire like span of what we did. And obviously, we did a lot of rewrites on it, but I think that's the mm-hmm. only scene that actually had any truth to it from the very original Baylor version. Everything else was was later. And then we toyed around with with several different versions. We had a version that was just Booth that that didn't flashback the the play version that we did at second thought which i i love the the play version how we did it is that we see booth in in the present time where he has just shot lincoln he meets up with harold on the road they go to muds they go it's all of their their wilderness adventures while he's what leads him to the barn Mm. And that flashes back to him as a young man, which leads up to Lincoln being shot. So basically we took Booth's life and we separated it at the moment of Lincoln dying. And then we overlapped it. So then at the end of the play, when Booth shoots Lincoln, they shoot him in the barn. And what we found, which was really fascinating with that version of the story. First of all, we had an excellent storytelling device because Booth broke his leg at the assassination. Right. And so anytime it switched to the present, Booth just added the limp. Right. And so it was a really clear indicator for the audience. We're in the past. We're in the present. Right. Uh, he'd just start walking normal or he'd start walking with his limp. So that, that was a really great device for us that just happened because of the history. And then the other weird thing was in the order that they arrested Booth's conspirators was in the order that he met them and brought them into the plot. And so as a storytelling device, whenever they would arrest someone and they'd be like, you know, how did you know this person? How did you know Dr. Mudd? Then we would have him talking to Dr. Mudd in the past. So it lined up really, really eerily when we we told it like that and i thought the booth second thoughts play was really really successful what we've talked about doing which we are he already did we wrote a a companion piece called mars that Mm. is basically the podcast now pared down to a play that's just stanton's story called mars trying to get that produced i had reached out to the ford ford theater a long time ago Uh and they read the booth story and we got a, a really nice note back from them but it basically said that they can never have booth on the stage at the ford it's in their rules really? and so yeah so when we wrote when steve wrote mars we put that together we made a point to not have booth as a character in hopes that one day maybe that would be there so that's my my nerd dream is for ford's theater to do mars that would Um, be amazing if if anyone at ford's theater is listening that's my my dream is to go to that that stage and see it on the stage that would be amazing what i think and you guys are so inspirational i mean so many writers i think fall in love with a piece and they they you know you have to revise, but a lot of times you, you're, you're just still hanging on to that basic premise or that one plot line that you, you love so much or your protagonist. And the way you all have taken this this whole period of history and all the events that have happened and you have reworked this into so many different amazing stories, that is really inspirational. I love that. that. 
Thank you. That's actually something I can add to the advice for writers, something I talk about with my students. Steve is fearless. I I get a lot more sentimental and attached to things mm-hmm. and I fight like we'll have conversations where I'm like, no, we can't lose this. We have to hold on to this. This is why this is important. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. Chilla, we can cut it. <laughs> um, but but he's fearless about what you have to be as a writer. He's fearless about playing. Uh, I, I think the, the best metaphor I can think of is king solomon he's willing to cut the baby in half to get to the result that that he needs so obviously if you know if you know the king story of king solomon if he's willing to do that to the child and both the women say okay he's the king he's probably gonna have to do it but luckily one one mother said no please don't do it and he's like okay i'm gonna let you have the child because you're the real mother but it's being willing to take this baby that you're so sentimental about that you've put so much time into and then being able to take that script and just completely mm-hmm. rework it completely grab it tear tear certain scenes out certain characters out you have to be willing to take that risk but the cool thing is as a writer especially in the di- digital age you're not taking any risk because your original work is still there. Right. You don't like the experiment. You still have your your previous draft. You don't have to keep that way. But if you can take that risk and be willing to try it, you never know something better may come out of it. And mm-hmm. that's what happened with us. We were willing to tear the play apart and see what happens. And, and something better came Stanton's story. So just being willing to to take those risks. Love that. One last thing is we're hoping eventually to have this be a visual medium. Uh, mm. We've we've shopped several versions of the script around. We're we're currently shopping it around. We would love someone to to snag it and say, "Hey, this could be the next crown." <laughs> we right, would love that. Right. So it's just uh, a matter of finding the right right person, the right company. We've had a lot of meetings with with people that we were really hopeful about. We hope that continues. Everybody always has a different take on it and that's the challenge with a, your screenwriting is that you get into Hollywood and producers always want to put their own spin on it. They mm-hmm. always want to put their mark on it. So mm-hmm. a lot of times that means they want to take what you've written and change it completely. So it's about sticking to your guns and, mm-hmm. and knowing that we've got a good story that we want to want to tell and finding the, the right person to tell it. But that's that's the future hope. And that's originally why we went to the podcast is we wanted to have something because when we were originally shopping out the play, we it was hard for people to grasp. But we were like, let's make this podcast. And mm-hmm. now we have a package that we can say, just listen to this. This is what right. we want to make. This is the right. story. And you can experience that. And hopefully that gives you a good idea of the the mini series that we'd like to make. Yeah. Because here it is. I say stick to your guns because what you've got is just perfect and you'll find the right person i mean like you said luck blessings have been on your side so far so it's It's just a matter of that saturation but thank you so much for 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 the kind words well thank you so much for this interview it has been a dream of mine to talk to you since we started this podcast pretty well (laughs) and i'm so happy you agreed to talk to us today where thank you katie thank you ashley where can people follow you or 1865 so at 1865 podcast on Twitter and it's 1865 podcast on Facebook as well. I'm at 2% Chilla <laughs> at uh, Twitter. My uh, my friends always joke that only 2 2% of my jokes are funny. So <laughs> that's uh, where the 2% came from. You're 2% uh, Chilla. 2% Chilla. But thank you so oh, much for having so me on bad. and it's a pleasure and I appreciate you guys. All right, Ashley, what do you think? 
Oh gosh, I love talking to him. Not only do I love this podcast, but I love what he had to say about the creation of the podcast. And to mm -hmm. me, as somebody that you know, I'm working on a project. I've been writing it with my mom mm -hmm. for several years. It was so inspiring, feels like an overused word, but it was so inspiring. I don't know another word for it, to hear him say, just keep doing it. Don't worry mm -hmm. about, you have to serve the story. And if something doesn't serve the story, take it out, which has happened to us several times. And it was also encouraging to hear how they started this project in college right. and they've taken it all this way. I don't know. There was just a lot of personal things that really meant a lot to me that, you know, to elaborate, you guys probably wouldn't understand it, but you know, Candy, you get what I'm talking about. It just was really personally encouraging and inspiring. Yes. Honestly, I can see where it would be encouraging to anybody who's mm -hmm. artistic or has some kind of a, a passion project that they've been working on, mm -hmm. but, but it was just in inspiring in terms of life goals. Yes, I, yes. To think about the journey that they've been on and really to boil it down, I'm oversimplifying, but he really talked about, it's about being persistent. It's about being flexible. It's about trying to network and make connections. It was, I think it was inspiring and encouraging for probably everyone who was listening, but to piggyback on that, I think that's one of the things that stood out to me, the flexibility and the creativity to start with this one product that was yeah. focused around John Wilkes Booth yeah, and to do all that research, but then over the years to have decided, you know what, look at all the potential we have to do different things with this. If we are not married to it, if we are willing to make changes, we can leverage this in so many different ways mm -hmm. and what they've done with it. I mean, their audio drama is amazing. It is, it is. just absolutely riveting to listen to so professionally done yeah and it was nice that eric was such a nice guy he was so nice <laughs> he's he so nice great work and he was yeah. so nice to talk he's so to. nice and kind and humble and it just made it seem possible you know like it just made everything seem possible anything is possible definitely and i love for those people out there who are interested in podcasting he gave such great tips yeah. and strategies so i felt like that was really nice to hear as well mm -hmm. So a huge thank you and a massive cheers to Eric Archilla and also everybody associated with the 1865 podcast. We are so impressed by you guys. Yes. And after we do our cheers, stay tuned because we're going to play a trailer for season two. Cheers. Cheers. How will your story end, Mr. Stanton? Well, sometimes, Mr. Dickens, the best way to see the end of the story is to go back to the beginning. The war on the battlefield is over, but the fight for the soul of the country continues. U.S. Grant, welcome back to Washington, General. Thank you, Mr. President. The radicals have found their general in Thaddeus Stevens. I think it's time we appointed a general of our own. I know you don't want the nomination, but if you're called by your country to serve, I do not want the office. You didn't touch your drink. I'm not thirsty. Who do you think the people are going to believe, Grant? The President of the United States or a miserable drunk? He doesn't want the nomination. Which is precisely why we should give it to him. Johnson wouldn't stand a chance against him. No man would. Washington had Benedict Arnold. Hamilton had Burr. Andrew Johnson has Ulysses S. Grant. He cannot be tamed. Mr. Parker, there are no better angels in him to which he can be guided. 
Grant is a fool if he thinks otherwise. I suspended Stanton and replaced him with you, Mr. Interim Secretary. I no longer serve in that capacity, Mr. President. By God, yes, you do, and you will until I say otherwise. We are at war, General. It's past time for you to pick a side. I'm on the countryside. Then answer her call. From the New York Times, the President is acquitted. Vindication. Mr. President, there are four million freedmen down south. This is a white man's government. It is not a white man's government any longer. You have no idea what's coming for you, do you? Some things never change. You played the part of Brutus well, General. But now, you're Caesar. Is that what you are, Mr. Stanton? A flawed hero? No, Mr. Dickens, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's likely I'm not the hero of this story at all. I will stand as a Republican nominee, Mr. Zinn. I will win the election, and I will finish what Mr. Lincoln started. 1865, Season 2, The Rise of the General. Available April 27th, or you can listen to 1865 right now, early and ad-free, when you join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join this Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.